0: Vasudeva Sutam Devam, Kamsa Janurama dhanam, Devaki Paramanandam, Krishnam Vande jagad
1: Gurum. So, we are on um, chapter seven. Some more people are coming in.
0: Sometimes uh, this microphone rubs against the shawl. I think it produces a a scratchy sound. So if, Jayant, you notice that, uh, let, let me know. I might not see the message, but you can unmute and tell me.
1: Right. I think we can start.
0: In the seventh chapter, if I remember correctly, we were doing the 14th verse. Um, Gunamai, Mamamaya, Is that right? We were doing this. Yes. So Sri Krishna has said in the 13th verse, he said, Tribhir, Gunamair, Bhavair, Ebhi, Jagat. Mohitam nabhijanati mamebhya param abhyayam. So this, um, all beings in this world um, are deluded because of the, of Maya and its products. Maya is constituted of the three gunas, sattvik, Rajasic, and tamasik. And the entire physical world, idam jagat, whatever is um, manifested here as this, whatever you can say, this, this person, this uh, object, this body, this thought, this desire, all are products of uh, the three gunas. By these, aV By these, Mohitam, deluded. We are um, fixed in this. And this Moha, it also includes, it includes three things. Moha, Raga, and Dvesha. Moha is delusion, which is tamasic, born of uh, tamas, delusion, confusion, uh, foolishness. And uh, Raga and Dvesha are born of uh, rajas. Strong likes and dislikes. Without this thing, without this person, without this job, without this kind of money, or without so many Facebook likes, my life is worthless. Or the opposite um, dvesha, anger, irritation, grudges, um, you know, annoyance at others. So, this, this is what, what constitutes our mental world. And all of these. Are are products of Maya. These are actually the veil which uh, covers uh, God, the Lord God Krishna. Here he says he is hidden by this veil. And this veil, what is it constituted of? It's not a veil of cloth. It's a veil made of moha, delusion, and like strong likes and dislikes, raga dvesha, desire, hatred, uh, all of this. Whom uh, so they do not know me. Paramabhyam, Who am I? I am not part of this. So This entire physical world made of three gunas. Our entire mental world made of three gunas. All the living beings made of three gunas. All the bodies, the um, subtle bodies, the sensory system, all are made of three gunas. But there is only one thing which is beyond these three gunas. We call it the Atma or Paramatma. The self or the Supreme Self that is beyond the three gunas. Here, here, of course, the topic is God, Saguna Brahman or Paramatma. So he says, I am beyond these three gunas and I am not seen by the uh, sentient beings in this world because it's so engrossed in this veil of Maya. Then he goes on, then what can be done? He says, Devi, Hesha, Gunamai, Mama Maya, Duratyaya. We did this last time. Um, this Maya, what is this Maya? It is mine, Devi, uh, it, Mama Maya. It is, it is my power and therefore. I am not. God says, I am not helpless here. I am beyond that power. I am the lord of that power. Not only that, by my help, you can come go beyond this power. So, mama maya duratyaya, mameva ye prapadyante, maya metam tarantite. What is the way out of this maya? How can we transcend? So, first of all, why do we want to transcend? Because it is suffering. It is limitation. We open ourselves up to terrible suffering in this world of maya and we Uh, repeat this uh, suffering again and again in lifetimes. So we want to come out of it. Not only is it suffering, suppose there are times when there is no obvious suffering in our lives, but there is lack of fulfillment. We are, even when there is no real trouble in our lives, we are not deeply fulfilled. We do not know the secret to the mystery of this universe. What is the purpose of life? We do not feel satisfied with whatever we have got or whatever we can reasonably expect to get in this life. Lack of fulfillment plus suffering, it drives us to seek a solution to this problem of life, problem of samsara. Um, and he says, there is only one way out of this Maya. First of all, realize this Maya, Duratya, it's very difficult to cross over. It's like crossing an ocean, very difficult. And one must recognize this. One At one point or the other, one comes to this realization that it is very difficult to cross over and we need help. So the help comes from God. Why, why does the help come from God? Because God is the master of this Maya. And only by catching hold of God. So what is the solution? Those who take refuge in me. Um, so they take refuge, they hold on to me, they alone can go beyond Maya. One uh, Sadhu gave a very nice example. Prapadyante, the literal word, Prapati means surrender. That's how we we translate it. But you know, even more literally, if you take it, it means holding on to the feet. Prapadyante, holding on to the feet. Prapad, that, that word means the upper portion of the feet. The lower portion of the feet, below our foot, our the sole of our, our feet is are called um, the padatal, the the surface at the bottom of our feet. But the upper portion of our feet. Uh, that is called prapad. So Prapaddhihante one meaning would be to actually hold on to the feet of God. Now, one sadhu gave a nice example. He says um, fishermen in in you know, shallow waters, they enter into the water and they cast a net and they catch the fish in the shallow waters. But those little fish who cleverly swim near the feet of the fisherman, they are not caught because the net is a little further away. The net will not fall on the feet of the fisherman himself. So, those fish, those who try to run away, swim away, they may be caught. But those who come near to the fisherman and catch, or they are at the feet of the fisherman, they are generally not caught. So, uh, he gives very nice example that if you hold on to the lord of Maya, to, the, to take refuge in the feet of, of, of Ishwara, of Bhagavan, or the avatar of Bhagavan like Krishna, then you will be saved. Um, saved from samsara. Uh, but there is a condition he gives. Mame uh, prapadyante. Me alone. Not that... See, the thing is, we do take refuge. In, in life, we do take refuge. We take the support of what? We take the support of, um, of money, uh, of, uh, of our power, uh, or of our um, you know, youth and beauty... Or we take the support of other people who, you know, our friends, our supporters, our family members. Uh, or we take the support of, you know, our own knowledge and strength and fame and popularity. These are the supports. We take refuge in them. They are treacherous. They will fa- fail us. They have to. They are limited in, in, in samsara. None of them can offer you surety and security. So, maam eva. Not by the help of others, by the help of God alone, I will solve my problems. Not by the help of uh, wealth um, or power, by the help of God alone, I will solve. Not even by my own resources. Some people have tried, the, the you know, I don't depend on anybody else. I am independent. I do my own thing. Even that has to be um, understood that that is also by the grace of God only. A little thing. A little stroke somewhere in the corner of the brain and all our capacity, our energy, our um, you know health, everything will disappear in a second. It will be totally helpless the next moment. Um, I remember uh, two years back at Harvard University, one course we were studying was Christian Contemplative Prayer. So, reading books written on uh, prayer by Christian uh, saints. So, uh, the saint is writing to his disciples that um, you take care of your health. Again and again we say that you take care of your health, um, see that you don't fall ill. So some, So the professor was saying that you have to remember in those days people used to be sick a lot. That's why the advice is there, you have to take care of your health. As if these days we don't fall sick. And I was just thinking, within weeks of that, COVID hit. Entire Harvard was shut down, everybody was running for their lives. As if in the 21st century or that, those things are in the past, medieval times. We don't fall sick these days. You have to be told why they are mentioning take care of your health. Those days, they used to be ill a lot. There were a lot of diseases in those days. Anytime it can happen. We should not take the refuge of anything else. Everything else will work. People will be there. Medicines will be there. Money will be there. But remember, behind it all, it all works for us because of the Lord. One sadhu said very nicely in Hindi, "Karm apna phal nahi deta hai. Ishwar karma ka phal deta hai. So even the law of karma operates by the power of God. We think we, we Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, Sikhs, we believe in karma. Good karma, good results. Bad karma, bad results. Punya, Dharma leads to Punya, Punya leads to Sukha. Adharma leads to Papa, Papa leads to dukkha. We all believe these things. But that's not actually true. There is a deeper reason. It does not lead automatically. Those things are given by the Lord. Ultimately, the operation of the law of karma also depends on Lord, on on, uh, Saguna Brahman. In all the hindu traditions whether it is the worship of the divine mother shiva or vishnu one of the titles which will be given when you're praising god when you're praising Ishwar, or bhagavan whatever the the tradition of hinduism one of the titles will be karma dhyaksha karma dhyaksha the lord of karma what does it mean lord of karma it is not automatic so it depends on the lord And the Lord will generally give us the results of our karma, but also is entirely free to change it. So, mameva ye prapadyante, the ones who hold on to me alone, for them what happens? This veil of Maya becomes thinner. This veil of Maya is torn aside and we see that beyond samsara, beyond these three gunas of samsara, there lies one ultimate reality, our own reality actually. Our own consciousness, our own existence, that infinite reality um, behind this universe. But until that time, we are caught here. Um, So, Swami Vivekananda says, you cannot run away from the machine. You must learn how to work the machine and the machine will set you free. What is machine? Maya. Machine will set you free. How do you work the machine? One way is the long way. You, You play the game of the law of karma increase your punya do good uh, incessantly minimize uh, papa karma uh, so that a uh, lot of good karma is built up then purify the mind through karma yoga and then um, uh, you know focus the mind through upasana and then shravana manana and nididhyasana until uh, it's clear that i am not the body mind my own nature is pure consciousness which is infinite always immortal free and that is freedom Long, long road and pretty difficult. Small things in this samsara are difficult for us to achieve. And this seems to be a very tall order. <coughs> but here Krishna says, there is a shortcut. Shortcut is this. Um, that Mame vaye prapadyante. catch hold of me. Uh, that means Krishna, the avatar of the Lord. Even the Lord Vishnu you know, Saguna Brahman, that's also a little difficult, metaphysical for us to understand. You know, the consciousness associated with Maya, as Vedanta defined it. Maya Upahita Chaitanya or samashti Upahita Chaitanya. Those who have understood, studied the Vedanta Sarek, you remember. Definition of God, the Saguna Brahman. But here it's very easy. I uh, Here it is. Krishna, you have read about his life stories. The Avatara, you know about the Avatara. Rama, Krishna, Rama, Krishna. This is... Uh, much more manifest and he says take refuge in me alone mom eva not me god plus a little bit of money yes uh, i will depend on my money and my non knowledge my um, people who work for me plus of course god no it will not work like that internally only one thing we must catch on out externally everything will be there you will do whatever is necessary in life but internally, you know, everything depends on God and God alone. eva ye prapadyante. Then what will happen? Mayam etam This maya, very difficult to cross. They will be able to cross. They will cross easily. In fact, that's why we use this term bhavasagar karana when he's actually praising the guru though by the grace by holding on to the feet of the Guru, by the grace of the Guru, one crosses over Bhavasagar, the ocean of samsara, this ocean of births and deaths, this ocean of suffering and limited existence. Crossing over, of course, uh, in uh, Vedanta, it simply means realizing your own infinite, perfect, ever free nature. From that perspective, you see you are free. So that is the crossing over. So if it is so easy then why don't uh, people cross over with it? Just catch hold of Krishna, catch hold of your avatar of choice, and then you uh, c- uh, cross over. And Krishna is also saying, Yes, of course, it's easy. And these fools, they won't do it. So the ne- next uh, verse is full of what we say in Hindi, Gali, uh, uh, scolding. Fifteenth verse. Namam Dushkritino no mudha prapadyante naradhama. Mayaya parita jnana asurambhava mashritaha. Wretches among men, the wicked and ignorant, do not take refuge in me, being deprived of discrimination by maya and betaking themselves to demonic attitude. All right. A lot of harsh words here. What is he calling people who do not uh, take refuge in God? He says, sinners, dushkriti, sinners. Stupid, fools, mudaha, naradhama, the worst among human beings, is all equal to animals. Uh, asuram, demoniac. What does this mean? One sadhu put it very nicely, humorously, you must not take it in any other sense. He says, See, you would never see such language from Sri Ramachandra. Ramachandra was an aristocrat. He lived and he was trained and among princes, you know, he was the prince of Ayodhya. So, always very cultured, very dignified. But Krishna, he was brought up with coward boys. So, all sorts of language he can deploy immediately. And that you see truly in Krishna's life and in Sri Ramakrishna's life also. No hesitation in using the harshest of, uh, choicest of words when he wants to scold somebody. So, Krishna here is, Sri Krishna is using pretty harsh language. First of all, Dushkriti is something to be careful about. Dushkriti means those who actually do sinful things, Ste- you know, dishonesty, stealing, bribery, um, uh, you know, violating rules of conduct, um, hurting others, you know, either actually physically or by behavior or by words. These are um, terrible things. And what they do is they put such a burden of bad karma on us that it prevents us from spiritual life. This is the biggest harm of being sinful. It stops us from being spiritual. It it puts a veil between us and God. Why one does not turn to spiritual life? Because of, always they will say, bad karma. I remember one place in Panchadashi, such a high Advaitic text. After Vidyaranya Swami, he is as if he's talking to the opponent who says, I don't understand this Advaitic idea about infinite awareness. How am I infinite? And Vidyarina Swami explains. I forgot in which chapter it is in. He explains. And then after the explanation, several verses, then he says, if after this you say, I still don't understand. I made it as simple as possible. If after this, still it's not clear to you, at least intellectually, it's not even clear to you. Then I must say, it is your past Papa Karma. He's, He's so blunt there. Your past sins, which are blocking you from this, it does not seem possible for for such a person who has this burden of past sinful life. It does not, the spiritual life does not seem possible. Even it seems possible, it's not for me, somebody else. Or it's possible I can also do it, but no attraction is felt, no enthusiasm is felt. This is all um, the effect of past bad karma. Now, one point to be noted. If I have this past bad karma, does it prevent me from doing spiritual action? No, uh, You know, bhakti, devotion, like Krishna said, Mameva ye prapadyante. so because of my past sinful life, can I not take refuge in Krishna? He does not say that. One can. Actually, one can. He, later he will say that one can and one should. If I am conscious of my sinful life, if I am conscious of um, past bad karma, I should take refuge. I immediately should do more spiritual practice, immediately. But the, the, the sad part of it is, one uh, damaging effect of sinful conduct is one will not do. One can do and one should do. Bhakti is open to everybody. Later on Krishna will say, the greatest of sinners, apichej sudurachara that person should be considered a sadhu the moment he takes refuge he or she takes refuge in God. Such a big claim Krishna has made. But they don't. They will not do it. And Krishna says, why? Because they are fools. Foolishness. What is this foolishness? It is like, uh, if I am very cold, I am feeling cold, and there is a blazing fire somewhere, I should immediately go and warm myself near that fire. But if I say, no, 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 I am not worthy, let me first, I am too cold, I can't go near the fire, let me first warm myself, become you know, like qualified to go near the fire, and then I will go near the fire. What foolishness! Go straight near the fire, you will be warmed. Your uh, um, suffering will be taken away. You are the one who needs it the most. Advaita Vedanta, we say such high level of qualifications required, four-fold qualifications, you know, Viveka, Vairag, the, the sadhan Chatushtaya, it was seen to be only for um, sannyasis. Now, the Maharaja of Mysore, he printed Mandukya Upanishad and, uh, and I think Ashtava Cross or Mandukya Upanishad and distributed free among the population of his state. He said... More than monks, it is the people in samsara who need this highest Advaitic knowledge. Right now, they are the ones who are suffering. They need this, uh, the highest teaching of uh, Vedanta. This is the idea. If I feel that I am sunk in samsara, that my life has become dirtied by the dust of samsara, then the first thing I should do is catch hold of God. Vedanta may be difficult, meditation may be difficult, but what is so difficult about taking refuge in somebody as attractive as Krishna? Mameva ye prapadyante. Literally catching hold of the feet of Krishna and Eva. You and you alone, you will help me. I remember very touching. One sadhu, I mentioned him earlier, Ramananda Saraswati, and this happened. Um, in front of me, if I, I think if I'm not mistaken, I heard it myself. One monk had come to ask for advice. He had just become a monk and a young monk. And he bowed down to this great Swami. He's one of the few I've met I consider to be Jivan Mukta, enlightened in this life. So this Raman Saraswati. This young monk bowed down to him and asked for advice. Now remember, Raman Saraswati was one of the most erudite Vedantic teachers. And um, uh, extraordinarily, uh, his life was luminous, very austere, very high order. And his knowledge was profound, deep. His teaching was very powerful and effective. Now, when this monk, who is a monk, is, is basically a practical Vedanti. The whole life should be given to Shravan, Manan, you know, inquiry into Brahman, Brahma Jigyasa. That's what the life of a monk is for. This monk bows ba- down to um, the Swami And uh, asks for advice. Please tell me what I should do. And this Swami, this great Vedantin, this very senior monk, a very wise, I think enlightened person, he says, great, great pathos, he says. I still remember the voice. What will you do? What can you do? Uh, if If you can, do this much. Catch hold of the feet of the Lord, uh, the feet of the Lord and weep. Prescribe twice a day, (laughs) take the medicine twice a day. Catch hold of the feet of the Lord and weep. What else can you do? So The Lord is moved more than by um, good actions, more than by meditation, more than by um, uh, Vedantic study, Vedantic inquiry, more than all of this, the Lord is moved quickly by tears one uh, monk told me that he is sure the only reason he, he was able to become a monk and be part of the order you know, in spiritual life, all, all things worked out for him because he said I am sure because once for some reason as a little boy I had wept for God. I know that once I had wept for God and from that time onwards and the Lord has taken uh, you know an interest in my case. <laughs> so so, but people will not do it. The One, one great singer, uh, one, one great Bengali poet, mystic, he sings that sitting near the ocean of nectar, one is dying of thirst. I mean, for one drop of that nectar, one is dying of thirst. And they don't turn around and look. Just behind them there is the ocean of nectar. And then he sings, I think it's um, Rajanikanta, probably. I'm not very sure. He sings that, um, even, oh Lord, even if they do not want you, uh, give them that by which their sorrow, their thirst will be quenched. Even if they don't want it, grant them that. Um, recently, a uh, Swami passed away, Bhaveshwaranji, Ajit Maharaj. He was more than 90. And uh, very interesting, funny old Swami. I had seen him many, many years ago, but just now I got the in- information. Last week he passed away. I think he was in Jairambati or Kamarpukur and uh, the birthplace of Sri Sriram Krishna, the Holy Mother. Um, so I have a store of funny stories about him, which we will not tell now. But what touched me was somebody took a few seconds video clip of him and they posted it on YouTube. And taken just a few days before he passed away. And they are saying, Maharaj, please tell us something. And he's saying with both hands raised, may you all have Ishwar Darshan, may you all have the vision of God, may you all have the vision. That is the only thing he kept on blessing people. May you all have the vision of God. So, Moodaha, foolish ones, they don't do it. This is, this is their foolishness. All help is there. All support is there. They won't take it. And then they struggle in samsara. Then what happens? Naradhamah. They become like animals. Naradhamah means the lowest among human beings. Lowest among human beings means instinctive, like animals. They look like human beings, but their behavior and life is just in the senses as animals. Later he expands on this. Asuram Asura means demon. Now the technical meaning of Asura is Asusuramanteye, those who uh, delight in the senses, in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. One might say, that sounds a lot like me. So, yes, then we are qualified to be Asura, a demon. Uh, one monk was joking, oh, I was reading the Gita and I found Krishna is describing me so beautifully. My own character has been explained so beautifully. That is the Daiva Asura Vibhasa Yoga, Yoga, where the demonic and uh, divine qualities are uh, classified. And detailed description of the demonic qualities are given. So the monk was saying, oh, it all matches me. <laughs> so Asura means Asusuramante, those who delight in the senses. And they are all around us. And we also get infected by that sometimes. Somebody told me that um, what can I say to you? We are arranging Gita class. We are surrounded by so many people who uh, should be coming. you know they they are well off, well settled, uh, you know re- retired from their jobs, children are grown up and yet they don't find one afternoon in a month to turn up for Gita class. Why not this party and that party and this social gathering and that social gathering At the beginning, for a few months, for a few years, if you do that, there is nothing wrong in it. One must experience and taste life. All right. But quickly come out of it. Mature out of it. Otherwise, what happens is, after some time, it becomes impossible. Mind becomes used to that. It runs in a rut. The the ability, the energy to pull it out of the rut is lost. Then one becomes, asuram bhava mashitam. Instead of taking ashraya, refuge in the Lord, in the feet of the Lord, we take refuge in our senses. And uh, that is the straight path to doom, which the little Nachiketa understood. We were reading Kathopanishad. He said, whatever you are offering me in temptation, O Lord of death, they are all the the pleasures of the senses. The powers of the senses are limited. And even if we enjoy what you are giving us, The enjoyment will be limited. It will be there here today and gone tomorrow. And at the end of it all, oh Lord of Death, oh Yama, you are there. Full stop to this particular life at least. So, I don't want these things. It's just the opposite of the Asura. That little boy, Nachiketa. So, look at the development or or, uh, degeneration. Dushkriti, heavy weight of past sins. And unfortunately, that prevents them from uh, rescuing themselves. Because they become foolish. They don't take refuge in God. Though it is open to them. Bhakti is open. See, jnana may be closed because fourfold qualification. Uh, yoga is also difficult because a certain level of uh, conditioning of mind is necessary before you can actually meditate properly. Uh, karma yoga will be difficult because that desire to do altruistic work, desire to be selfless, that will not come. But bhakti is actually open to everybody at any stage of life. But they are foolish. They will not go to the Lord. Um, then, because of that, naradhama, animal-like. Animal-like means enjoying only in the senses. bhava. Literally, it means those who delight in sensual life. Why is all this happening? Mayaya aparita jnana. Their knowledge, their understanding... Is swept away. Uh, swept away. The commentator uses uh, erased or occluded or covered by Maya. Here, Jnana does not mean Vedantic knowledge. It means the simple conscience. This is right and that is wrong. That ideal, little voice of conscience within us. Whatever we have learned from society, that we don't follow. Why we don't follow? Because of strong likes and dislikes, and because of Moha delusion. Delusion means that which is um, right seems to be not worth it or wrong. That which is wrong seems to be right. Raga dvesha, likes and dislikes. We know what is right and wrong. We are not deluded. But our likes are so strong. My greed is so strong. My desire, passion is so strong that I can't stop myself. I overstep the limits of right and wrong, which I know. In the, in the state of delusion, one does not know. One is completely forgotten. What seems to be um, wrong, what seems to be right is, is, uh, is forgotten and the wrong seems to be right. That is delusion. But in the state of Raga Dvesha, our typical state of you know, Rajasic state of mind, uh, the sense of right and wrong is not forgotten, but we can't control ourselves. We overstep the limits of right and wrong. And uh, because of strong desire, greed, kama, lobha, um, passion, greed, or the opposite, anger, uh, krodha. And then we we go ahead and do it. Um, Do wrong things. and So this is called mayaya aparita jnana. How this works? Yoga sutras uh, tell us uh, vritti sarupya mitaratra this is just a little diversion, I am telling you. It's very nice insight, which I got from a sadhu. Of course, the topic here is not meditation, but I am still uh, bringing it uh, up here. The Yoga Sutras say, what is meditation? Chitta Vritti Nirodha, um, complete uh, cessation or quietening of the vrittis of the mind. You are awake, but the mind is not breaking out into movements, into thoughts and um, you know, desires and all. Um, then what happens? What is the point of that? Then the witness consciousness is realized in its own nature. So All that is the Patanjali yoga theory that is uh, from the yoga sutras. But the next sutra, he says, if you are not in a state of deep meditation, then what will happen to us? What's the usual state of our mind? That's the fourth, fourth sutra in Patanjali yoga sutras. What does it mean? You, this sentient being, consciousness, you become identified with the vritti of the mind. Now, what, what, what happens is the vritti of the mind means the modif- particular modification of the mind. You That totally takes you over. You forget your real nature and for the time being, you become one with that. I, this uh, awareness, who am not the mind, suddenly a powerful vritti arises. Anger. And I become one with anger, vritti sarupyam and become one with anger. What does being one with anger mean? It means now anger feels right. See, you are are right. Right means you are perfect. You are consciousness. You are purusha. You are atman. Uh, Being of uh, pure awareness. That is the reality. But now that rightness, that reality becomes mixed up with the vritti anger. And then what happens? That anger feels right. I am right. That person should be punished. That person is wrong. And I will scold him or beat him up or whatever. You'll say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong becomes clear immediately afterwards. Within a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, when that anger fades away, the Vritti will change. Vritti will always come up and disappear. When that anger fades away and you're left without that anger, then it's replaced by regret, by guilt. If the anger was right, you should never feel guilty about it. But we will feel guilty about uh, our negative actions. I should not have spoken so harshly. I should not have yelled at that person. I should not have, or even thought such um, harsh thoughts about that person. I should not have hit out at that person. Now what happens? That anger which has faded away, you follow this carefully. That anger which seemed so right and so justified at one moment now does not seem justified at all. It seems wrong. When does it seem right? When you are totally at one with it. When does it seem wrong? When it is fading away. Those who are uh, sensitive, thinking people, they will immediately feel guilty after doing anything wrong. Those who are not so sensitive they will try to keep on justifying. They begin to feel that it was not right at all. That justification begins to fade. But they struggle to somehow justify that, no, it was necessary or whatever it was. It was inevitable or what could one do? Something like that. But a sensitive person will always realize, no. Any deviation from moral life, any deviation from truth, any deviation from non-violence, any deviation from self-conscious uh, self-control. Satya, Ahimsa, Brahmacharya any deviation from these primary virtues, we will inevitably regret it. So regretting it means we were, why did we not regret it at that time? Because we are taken over by that Vritti. vritti Sarupyam. Oneness with the Vritti. Then, so this is the condition of Dushkriti. It starts with lot of bad karma. And then this is the terrible condition. That's why people do not take out the easy route of taking refuge in God. God can help us through samsara very easily, but we don't take refuge. Then the next very well-known verse, 16th verse. Then who takes refuge? Just the opposite, those who have good karma. Chaturvidha Bhajan mam. Jana Four kinds of people who have done virtuous deeds worship me, O Arjuna. The distressed person, the aspirant after knowledge, the seeker of wealth, and the man of knowledge, O best of Bharatas. Okay, who is who are those who who take refuge in God? Take refuge in God, you will go beyond Maya. Maya is very difficult to cross over. That's why religion, spirituality seems so difficult. But it can be crossed over by the grace of, of the Lord. Um, if you take refuge in the Lord or the incarnation of Lord, the Avatar. But who will? Generally, with a lot of you know, what we might call a sinful life or a bad, a lot of weight of bad karma, they will not. Who will take refuge in God easily, directly? Those, those who have good karma. He will say, who are those people? He will tell us. But notice what he says, "Sukritina," those who have done good in this life or in past lives. So the takeaway from this is never cease to do good, never give up an opportunity to do good. And every time I'm forced into doing something that seems questionable in my own conscience, hesitate, pull back, try to resist as much as you can, try to replace the negative with the positive. Sukriti, those who have a lot of good karma, one sign of that is they have uh, an easy devotion to God, they catch hold of God. Who are they? They belong to different categories. They are not the same. They, they come in uh, different flavors, let us say, those who take refuge in God. One straightforward meaning I will give you, and then the deeper uh, meaning I will give you. The straightforward meaning is, Arta Jigyasu Atharthi Gyanichak. First of all, who takes refuge in God? Those who are suffering. We are driven to spirituality by suffering. It could be serious suffering, pain, disease, terrible loss, bereavement. And we we without we find no other way of um, finding consolation, finding peace of mind. We catch hold of God. And that's perfectly all right. And Sri Krishna says, they are Sukriti. They have got a lot of good karma. Because that good sense came to them. Then I often say that that, uh, there's this phrase, there are no atheists in the foxholes. So in in First World War, when there was heavy shelling, soldiers used to dig um, like a hole, like a trench in the ground to hide and protect themselves against the incoming shells. So you'd be hiding there in the mud and the dirt in that hole and hoping that the shell will not land on you, Be shaking in fear. And in that stage, there are very few people who will say, I don't believe in God. I mean, still, even atheists will start praying. Um, hospitals, I have seen, so they are, often have prayer rooms. People who are sick, or especially if you're somebody beloved or close to you is sick, it's very difficult not to pray for their welfare. And you know, it is really out of the hands, our hands, or the hands of doctors and nurses. So that is Artha, in distress. Then, Um, Not in distress, but they want something in life. Atthati. They want wealth, power, success. Uh, Success in examinations is one big thing in India. Uh, Funny story. I remember when uh, we became monks. So three days you have to go out and beg for food. Now, in our main monastery nearby, the people who live nearby, they know that uh, at this time of the year, there'll be a batch of new monks and they'll come out to beg for food. And so they considered it a great good karma to punya, to cook food and offer it to the um, to the monks who come to your gate and ask for food. Uh, so, And we all had very f- funny stories, you know, sometimes to, to sh- uh, share. Um, so, one of the funny stories was a friend of mine. Uh, he Uh, So, he said that today when I went out to beg for food, uh, this lady came out and said, Baba, please come. Uh, Yes, I will give you the bhiksha. But my daughter is going out for her her college examinations. Please bless the pen with with which she will write the examinations. So, we asked, what did you do? He said, I blessed the pen. Now, we know that friend of ours, a very good person, very nice and jovial monk. But the last, the one thing he did not like was studies. So, he was really poor in studies. So, we joked with him that, Tomorrow, take a different route. Don't go to the same house. They'll be waiting with a stick (laughs) for you. I'm sure that doctor's exam may not have gone all that well (laughs) with your blessings. Um, So, he says, we want something. I've heard from students that we had little temples in our colleges and universities, but the only time I was interested in spirituality was just before examinations. I would go there and, and, you know, bow down to the Lord uh, and uh, uh, pray so that I I can pass the examinations. I remember when I was a little kid, uh, I had a pundit who used to come to teach me Sanskrit, a wonderful man, Um, but sometimes I would not have done the Sanskrit homework and uh, I would you know, wait in dread for the Pandit to turn up. He came with a, he was a very poor man. He came in a bicycle and the bicycle was uh, creaky and old. And you could hear the creaking of the bicycle chains a long distance away. And I still remember praying uh, desperately to Sri Ramakrishna, Hori Mother, Swamiji in my mother's shrine. Let him not come today. I promise I will do the homework next time. And I, but those prayers were never answered. Uh, inevitably, after a few minutes, I would hear the creaking sound of the chain <laughs> and the pandit has arrived. So, I want something in this life. Of course, that was not Artharti, that was more like artha, in distress. Um, those who want wealth, success and so on. Then the third one is those who want jigyasu, who are inquirers. They don't want anything in this world. They don't, uh, they are not in trouble also. But like Narendranath, he wants to know whether God can be experienced. And sincere desire, not, a, not curiosity. And he goes to all the great religious teachers and preachers in Calcutta at that time and he asks them, Have you seen God? What does he want? He's not in trouble. He is not um, asking for anything um, in a worldly But then why is he approaching God? What is his interest in God? He wants God. He is an inquirer. He is a seeker. And we, basically, most of us, we belong to that category. We are spiritual seekers. They are called Jiggyasu. Again, Sukritina. They, they have got a lot of good karma in the past. Only then such inquiry arises in the mind. And then finally, the enlightened one. What is Krishna saying here? Who all take refuge in God? Who worship God? Who love God? So the enlightened one, Jnani, the enlightened one also loves God, not for anything, not for wealth, not that the enlightened one is in trouble, not even for enlightenment, because he is already enlightened. But still, uh, this enlightened one loves God. The Bhagavatam says that the qualities of Hari, of the Lord, are such, are such excellencies, I mean, the qualities of God, that even the great ones who have realized their identity with Brahman, who have no ties to this world, who roam the earth as free as the wind and as a blessing to humanity? Even they are full of love for the feet of the Lord Hari. Such are the bhuta Such are the glories of the Lord Hari. So even the jnani loves God, and in fact, we'll see the jnani is the one who truly has bhakti for God. But we'll see that later. So this is the um, direct meaning, the preliminary meaning. Those who want um, uh, the suffering to cease, they take refuge in God. Those who want to get something in this world, they take refuge in God. Those who are spiritual seekers, they go to God. And those who are enlightened, they also worship God. These are the four, and they have, they're all Sukriti, they're all good people. They have enormous good past karma. Because of that, they're doing this. Now, deeper meaning. This meaning comes from the Bhagavatam. See, it's a very beautiful meaning. If you have read the Bhagavatam, you know, one sadhu said, you will immediately realize what Krishna is thinking about when he says this. He is not talking about people who want money, who want um, you know, the suffering to cease. What he is talking about are those who are closest to his heart, the gopis of Vrindavan. Now, what is if you see the Bhagavatam, how they are described, their love for Krishna, one is artha They terribly, terribly miss the presence of Krishna. This is called Viraha. Viraha is a special kind of bhakti where you miss the presence of God. You you feel terribly bereft, a divine discontent that I I do not feel the presence of Krishna. So all mystics, devotional mystics, those on the path of devotion, they have this. uh, And these are very advanced states of devotion. Uh, It is an intense sorrow. What sorrow is this? I can't feel the presence of God. I can't see Krishna so that is called viraha and tears said so isn't this sorrow but the tears shed in this sorrow are more enjoyable than the greatest enjoyments of of the world i think it is uh, not tulsi tulsi das who some another great mystic who said this maybe surdas or who said that tears shed um, because you are missing you are feeling the absence of lord rama Those tears are more enjoyable than all the enjoyments of the world. Even the sorrow for God is is a great joy. Anyway, viraha, that I miss the presence of my Lord. That is artha, the first one, in distress. Distress for what? Not because of any worldly reason. It is for that I am missing the presence of God. I feel deeply, keenly feel the absence of God. Then what did the gopis do? Then comes jiggyasa. You see, very interestingly, you would think that those who are in distress, those who want something in the world, and those who are spiritual seekers, that would be the order. But actually, if you look at the uh, verse, what is mentioned first? Artha, those who are in distress. Then second one, jigyasu, those who are inquirers. Third one, Arthati, those who want something. So why that particular order? It comes directly from the uh, path of the gopis, these coward um, girls uh, of Vrindavan. When they intensely felt the absence of Krishna. So absence can be felt. You see, there is a presence of the absence. I remember Professor Gerald Larson, who was a professor of Sankhya philosophy, an American, a great professor of Sankhya philosophy. He used to come to the Institute of Culture in Golpark in Calcutta and give talks. And he was very close to Swami Lokeshwaranandaji, a very great Swami of our order who was there. Institute of Culture. So when Lokeshwaranji passed next year, Professor Larson visited, and in the memorial meeting, he said, I am acutely conscious. Today I am acutely conscious of the presence of the absence of Swami Lokeshwarananda. The absence is also a very great presence. You You can feel it that this person is not there anymore. Similarly, when the gopis intensely felt the absence of Sri Krishna, what did they do next? They went around seeking. Jinyasu. They ask the trees of Vrindavan, have you seen my Krishna? They ask the river Yamuna, have you seen my Krishna? They ask the sands on the bank of the river Yamuna, have you seen my Krishna? They ask the flowering trees and the creepers, Lata, have you seen Krishna? Inquiry. And then the third one is atharthi When they sit down and meditate or they pray krishna and they get artha means to get something and here the only thing they want to get is krishna so when they they meditate and try to feel the presence of krishna have the vision of krishna or let krishna come in their midst that is artharthi so they are even more focused there and finally what happens Jnani. they krishna comes in their midst and they are fulfilled and they are they are with their beloved lord that is the state of enlightenment for them now for an ordinary devotee it may be that first there is a, there is a sorrow my life is unfulfilled and uh, then comes the next i seek god you know I, I study devotional literature i go to saints i listen to devotional talks and listen to hymns and bhajans and all that and you know i am taught about the ishta devata and the mantra then the third stage is Artharthi. When I want to have the vision of the Ishtadevata, I sit down and repeat the mantra, pray to God, shed tears. I want to get that. The wanting to attain that, that is Artharthi. And then you have the vision of your Ishtadevata, that is jnani. So this is the from the Bhakti side of it. And the beautiful thing is that Sadhu implied that uh, if you read the story of the gopis in the Bhagavatam, it's unmistakable. When Krishna is talking here, he's telling Arjuna about it. In the battlefield of Kurukshetra, he's actually talking about his beloved gopis. That how they seek God. The four stages. Viraha, that is then Jigyasu seeking. And then um, Atharti, settling down and you know, becoming intensely absorbed. And then jnani, that means the realization of God. The other way of interpreting this, the same thing, is from the Vedantic side. Well, it's pretty straightforward. Artha means uh, vairagya, dispassion for the world. The world is full of sorrow. I realize the nature of the world and I'm, I've become, become dispassionate about the world. That is distress, artha. The next stage is the jigyasu. the same sequence. I become a seeker, uh, that uh, I, I turn up for the Vedanta classes, YouTube lectures. And then I read Vedanta, I try to understand it. And then the third one is Artharthi, with the reality. I settle down on the reality, Nididhyasana. I have heard it all. I have turned away from the world, from worldliness. I have heard it all. I have understood what Vedanta is telling me. Now I want to settle down on what I have understood. Artharthi, Nididhyasana, Vedantic meditation. And then Jnani would be, I become enlightened, Jivan Mukta. I realize I am Brahman. So from a Vedantic perspective and from a Bhakti perspective, this is the deeper meaning of the four kinds of people who have great good karma, who worship me, Krishna says. The distressed, you have to fit it in. in the general meaning, the devotional meaning, and the, the knowledge path meaning, the jnana meaning, or the Vedantic meaning. And then the jigyasu seeker, inquirer after God. And then the third one is Arthati, wants something. And something here would be God. And then uh, Jnani, the enlightened one. Okay. Then the next one, the next two we'll see next time. Because he will say, among all of them, my favorite is the Jnani. Krishna says, the one who is enlightened is my favorite. But it's not playing favorites, he explains because it is only for the jnani that i am a constant reality the bhakti of the jnani is a bhakti based on reality has already become one with me i am one with him he is one with me and here shankaracharya is very happy because this is uh, advaitic oneness we and i saguna brahman and the jiva they are both one infinite existence consciousness place shankaracharya says this in this realization see one's own atma you yourself. Can you ever be separate from that? You can be separate from other people. You can uh, be... Um, other people may go away. Um, money may go away. you know, Places may change. Uh, our health, uh, age uh, turns our body uh, into old and you know, sick. Even life itself may go away. But you cannot go away from yourself. Whatever it is, you are always there. Good or bad. That you is now realized to be none other than God. With the oneness between your own inner nature and God. So, God cannot go away from you anymore. God, You are always centered in God, choicelessly. so. Who can do that? Only Jnani. But otherwise, in bhakti, in ordinary bhakti, not the highest, but in ordinary bhakti, it depends on attention and devotion. Sometimes it may be more, sometimes it may be less, sometimes faith may be strong, sometimes there may be doubt, even saints have doubts. So, it is flickering. Until you become enlightened, it will flicker. It will increase and decrease. There will be periods of dryness. So, for an ordinary Bhakta, this person who has not advanced to the highest level of para-bhakti. Until that point, bhakti will flicker. But the one who is enlightened, who has got Vedantic knowledge, for that person, bhakti is constant. Because the one you love is the one with you. You cannot discard it. You are always present with you. So, he will say that in the next verse that the Gyani, the enlightened one, is my true devotee. Okay. Let me just look at the... Um, Shri Dhamma says, what does raising oneself by oneself mean? And what is its relation to Prapadyante? Raising oneself by oneself means uh, not to lower oneself, not to give in to uh, our Raga, Dvesha and moha." Sri Ramakrishna puts it this way. He plays on the Bengali word Manush. Manush means human being, common to many Indian languages and Sanskrit also. But he plays on it with puns. He makes it, it splits it into two things. man "Hush" means an awareness. Man means dignity or depth. So an awareness of our dignity as human beings, that's the first thing. If one is not aware of one's own glory, one's own dignity, one will fall. Um, will fall prey to our own ragadvesha. Our own passions and greed will drag us down. Our own anger and irritation and hatred will make us do terrible things. And then our tamasic moha, delusion, will get caught in a network of fancies and delusions. So this is uh, lowering oneself. Not allowing, Not falling prey to this is raising oneself by oneself. And prapadyante would be the Best way to do so: to throw yourself at the feet of the Lord. You see, uh, in Vishishtadvaita Vedanta, in the Sri Vaishnava tradition, Prapatti is the highest sadhana. Um, bhakti: there are many grades of bhakti, but in in the path shown by Ramanuja the Vishishtadvaita Vedanta, Sri Vaishnava path, path karma preparatory. And jnana, knowledge is knowledge of that I am this, this consciousness, not body-mind. I am a sentient being, part of the Lord. But after that comes higher is bhakti. I, the jivatma, has bhakti to paramatma. I am a part of Vishnu. I am a part of Narayana. I am an amsha, part. And God is the whole, the totality, amshi. On another way they put it is shesha sheshi. And my relation to the Lord is one of bhakti. But that bhakti also has higher and higher levels. And the highest level is prapatti This total self-surrender to the Lord. It's not verbal. Once it happens, this, it is unflickering, unceasing. You see some of the demonstration in, in the lives of people like Girish, Ghosh and some others who gave total, uh, totally surrendered to Sri Ramakrishna. Apparently the promise, Sri Ramakrishna said that, all right, surrender to me. You can't even take the name of God twice a day. No, I cannot promise that. Then surrender to me. You don't have to do anything. Give all your burden upon me. Now they thought that was a nice bargain. So you will take charge of my spiritual life. Then I can go around doing whatever else I want to do in life. No, it didn't work out that way. Towards the end of their lives, in Girish Gosha's life, it was seen. He says, I cannot even draw a breath without thinking about Sri Ramakrishna. Because now I have nothing. I have given up everything to Sri Ramakrishna. Every breath belongs to him. Every thought belongs to him. Every action, every word belongs to him. It becomes a continuous remembrance of God. That is one aspect of prapatti. The prapatti is, is a highest bhakti. Krunal Patel says, can you please speak about the need for mantra chanting? Mantra chanting is... Uh, useful in spiritual life? How does it work? So, it's a very big subject. I will not uh, say much about it here. Two aspects of it I will mention. First of all, uh, the psychological aspect. And the second one is the mystical aspect. The psychological aspect is very powerful. Our whole problem is in controlling the mind. We may have good intentions. We may read things and we make up our mind also to be spiritual. But because the mind itself is flickering, all these intentions are swept away. Sometimes the desire or the aspiration for spiritual life is strong. Sometimes it's weak. Sometimes it fades away. Real problem is with the flickering of the mind. Not in the teaching, not in my desire for God-realization. No, it is the flickering of the mind. This flickering of the mind, the real problem, one powerful way of controlling this is mantra. How does it work? It works like this. Our mind goes from topic to topic. It sort of jumps from link to link. So, this is compared to a monkey which climbs up a tree, then jumps from adjoining branch to adjoining branch, goes from tree to tree to tree. Other trees also travels from uh, one tree to another and roams about around the entire forest. But if you have a mantra, what happens is the mind is tied down to one thing. You repeat the name, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Bhagavate Vasudevaya, a mantra. And the next thing, what you're supposed to do is to repeat that. You may forget, but the moment you come to an awareness of, uh, oh, I've forgotten, the mantra will come back again. So you're drawn back again and again. And over time, it becomes easier to remain centered, holding on to the mantra. This is just a psychological aspect of it. Of course, um, a- any word can work. Transcendental meditation, for example, I've heard they give even a, even a secular word will work uh, to do this to bring your mind back again and again to the uh, same thought. But now, why mantra? What a secular word will not do for you is the mystical side. So, there is a whole science of mantras. But to put it in brief, as um, Swami Tapasyanandaji was the president of, vice-president of our order long ago, he says powerfully in one place, when you are given the mantra by your Guru, you have been given God in the seed thought. There is a mystical connection through the mantra, through your guru to God. So Ramakrishna says there is a huge log of wood under the fast flowing stream. You can't access it normally, but somebody gives you a chain, a thin chain. The chain is tied to that log of wood. If you follow the links of the chain, you will reach that submerged huge log of wood. Through so that chain, repeating the mantra, those are the links. Going, you, you will go, go straight to God yoga sutras and of course the devotional texts, all of them they sing the glory of the name of God. It is there in uh, uh, even where they do not believe in God. In say Buddhism, Om Manipadme Hum. Both the psychological aspect and the mystical aspect is fully understood there. It is there in all the theistic devotional traditions not only within Hinduism but in Christianity. They repeat the Lord's Prayer, that very beautiful book The Way of the Pilgrim where this Russian man he day and night just repeats um, Lord Jesus have mercy upon me day and night and then he talks about his experiences throughout life it's a very inspiring book for those who do Mantra Japa in Islam also it's there repeating the names of Allah so Mantra Japa is a very, very very powerful way of Both psychologically controlling the mind and mystically centering yourself in God. Mantra literally means Mananat Trayate. If you dwell on the mantra, it saves you from samsara. Trayate means saves. Mananat means thinks, thinking or or dwelling on it, contemplating it, basically repeating it. Some say that even uh, mechanically, if you repeat it, it will work. But um, it's much better to repeat it with attention and with love, uh, with reverence, then it works much better and immediately and powerfully. I knew our um, Swami Gitanandaji Maharaj, who was the Vice President of our order. We have ourselves seen, day and night he used to repeat the mantra. Anytime you go, he is chanting the mantra. He will talk with you very gently, sweetly, but then he will again go back to chanting the mantra. And the whole life was full of the mantra. Jayashree says, how would one deal with guilt? Take refuge in God and ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. Immediately turn to God and tell God in your heart of hearts, I have done this, I will not do it again. And you give me strength not to do it again. You save me from such situations where I have done things which I regret. Don't dwell on that guilt. Dwelling on negativities just uh, increases, feeds power into them. It's much better to dwell on God if i'm plagued by guilt good it's that means i have the sensitivity um, otherwise once one loses one's sensitivity i remember once as a novice and i was practicing i should not criticize anybody so once in the morning i told a monk that maharaj i feel very bad today i criticized somebody and then i spoke badly about somebody then the Swami said, oh, that's all right. Keep doing it. Very soon you will not feel bad anymore. <laughs> so we lose our sensitivity, you know. So I am feeling bad because I criticize somebody. And if you keep doing the wrong thing again and again, very soon you will stop feeling bad about it. So that sensitivity is lost. If one feels guilty, at least one has that sensitivity. And then don't stay there. Go straight to God. Hold on to God. Pray sincerely in your one's heart of hearts. I will not do it again. Please forgive me. and You give me the strength to save me from this situation so that I do not do anything wrong again. Rama says, how does God help us come out of Maya? Since he is himself, Maya Upahita Chaitanya. Yes, but Maya Upahita Chaitanya, as we, we say that um, I am beyond all this Maya. He says, Krishna says, Te, uh, ebhya In the earlier shloka, he said, beyond the three gunas, I exist. So, he, the Lord is above the three gunas, is not under the dominion of Maya. These two words are there, Mayadheesha, maya Mayadheesha, maya Lord of Maya. Who is that? God, or the incarnation of God. Mayadheena, under the domain of Maya. Who is that? Sentient beings like us. So, we can't help it. But the Lord can help us. The Lord is free of Maya. It is the power of the Lord. Uh, For us, we are under that power. So the uh, well-known story of the cobra, which has all the poison in its fangs, a little bit of that poison, a mouse or a frog is knocked out. But all the poison is in the fangs of the cobra. Nothing happens to the cobra. Not only nothing happens, it is the power of the cobra. Similarly, Maya is the power of the Lord to create, preserve and destroy the universe. To lead all us sentient beings to enlightenment through various experiences, lifetime after lifetime. That is the power. That is the meaning of Maya Upahita Chaitanya. Ishwar says, even having such bhakti depends on past karma. Is there a free will independent of karma? Don't bother about it. Whatever little free will we feel right now, use it, catch hold of the Lord. Catch hold of the Lord. Even if it's mechanically, the little bit one does one may even after some time forget it. The intensity may decline. But the little bit that you have done done, prayed intensely, simply, in a childlike way, in, in your privacy of your heart. We you prayed to the Lord. The Lord listens. The Lord listens to everything. One sadhu put it so beautifully. He says, This, we don't know. The whole universe, we are sitting on the lap of this material universe. The entire material universe is like a speck of dust which sits on the lap of the Lord. You are always on the lap of the Lord. You do not see the Lord. The Lord is seeing you. You do not hear God. God is always hearing you. So we are always in the presence of God that we don't see because of Maya, but the Lord is seeing us. So if we turn to the Lord, the Lord helps us. Rodrigo, can you explain Krishna's Ladini? So Ladini Shakti is... Uh, the, the embodiment of that shakti. It's a particular shakti of the Lord. And the embodiment of that shakti is Radha. Now, Ladini means the power of delight, of joy. So, it's the highest of the shaktis of Krishna. This is Vaishnava theology in uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. All these things are di- discussed in detail. In uh, Abhijit says in Vedantic interpretation is is similar to Mumukshu, Jnani similar to Mumukshu. Atharthi is already in that interpretation. Atharthi is already pretty advanced. Gaurav says, when I see people around me doing Bhakti, it seems they are having strong identification to subject-object relationship. Sometimes Bhakti becomes excuse to continue duality. That is true. You're a very strong non-dualist. So you take this verse in a non-dualist interpretation. Distress means you are distressed with the world. Seeker means you are seeking uh, Vedantic knowledge. Atharthi means you are centred in Aham Brahmasmi. And then finally, hopefully, Jnani, will you realize Aham Brahmasmi. Take it in that sense. Ratandhar says, could Sharanagati be considered as prapati? Yes. Sharanagati is a part of prapati. Prapati is a whole practice. And part of that is, central part is Sharanagati. Sharanagati means to take refuge in God. Parul says, holding on to his feet at all times and living in constant awareness of the one will hold me steady in face of flickering bhakti. I have more control of my choices that keep me steady, but none on others. This causes the flickering sometimes, certainly. But remember, holding on to the Lord means the Lord holds on to you. So, this is the very, why this, this is uh, bhakti is easier or, or is a more powerful day. Because we are in this path, you are not depending upon yourself ye prapadyante. You're depending on the Lord alone, even to hold you to Lord, even that Lord will remain in my heart, my mind will remain on God. There also I'm taking God's help. That power is very great. Otherwise, we are left to use our own little flickering mind. Rick says, no, in TM we don't use a secular word. Use a traditional Bija mantra. That's good. Benson tried to create a TM without Hindu trappings. He suggested secular words. Yes, I have read about Benson's relaxation response. He used uh, just like any, any word you can keep on repeating and get the same relaxation response. I have heard that the power of the mantra is the sound. Does it still have the same effect when it's chanted silently in the mind? Yes, yes, certainly. Who is saying that sound is not there when you are chanting silently? Sound is not just what is called vaikhari, the, the sound produced through the vocal apparatus which is expressed outside. Same sound vibrates internally in your mind. And same sound is in the uh, in the causal body also. There are four stages of sound, of uh, speech. There is vaikhari and uh, madhyama, and pasyanti and para. Para, Pashyanti, madhyama, vaikhari. So, is when we are talking, this is Vaikari. But the thoughts which are being expressed, there also the speech is going on in the mind. And that speech is the Madhyama. And in the causal state, before it became distinct thoughts, there is a seed form that is called the Pashyanti state. And Para is beyond that. That speech itself is Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss. So, even mantra, even sound will take you to Brahman. From the gross to the subtle, to the causal, to the one which is beyond gross, subtle and causal. Hmm. Stula sukshma, karana, vilakshana, brahma. That is the phrase used in Vedanta. After repeating the Lord's names, um, Holy Mother Sarada, Masharada said, what else in spiritual life besides praying to the Master, repeating His name and contemplating Him? And the Master, who is there after all, about Him. He is our own eternal. Yes, very beautifully said that we can um, uh, conclude here. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rupa Namastu